Jesus, you're my hero. Thanks, Popey. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So how the hell are you? Great. I see you tweeting uh, about uh, uh, audio editors. I've been recently yeah. uh, screwing around with uh, – I've been, I've been taking another crack at the uh, sort of the best quote-unquote audio editors for Linux. Which – what would you say? What would you say is the best audio editor for Linux? What would you say? Uh, probably audio. audio. Yeah. What, what would you say, Wimpy? Osun Audio. Yeah. Well, boy, boy, do I agree with you, Wimpy. Boy, fist bump. Yeah, Osun Audio is amazing. Uh, but, it, you know, the problem with Osun Audio is it's a single track editor, right? It's great, though. It's, uh, it's, a re- it's the best audio editor out there. Uh, if you it's just need to like needed, yeah, I don't do anything complicated with audio. Right, if you just need to like clip and, and trim and uh, you know cut, cut or, or if you want to like open up like a video file, like a movie, and pull like a clip out of a movie, it's great for that. So it's really it's it's not it's not free software, but it's free as in cost, and it's yeah, really it's good. Pointing, it's not open source. But yeah, it's very good. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not saying it's good for Linux. I mean, it's not good for Linux, right? It's good for any oper- like it's better than like pretty much anything out there for any operating system. It's re- and I think it's actually available for all the operating systems, but it's really good. Uh, I use I use it a lot for Unfilter, and uh, I like it a lot. Or sometimes if I just need to grab something small, but uh, yeah, if you go in multi-track, it's probably it's probably Ardour, which I just I have not been happy with Ardour. What happened to it is I made a big mistake. Is uh, when I uh, I had this machine that I was uh, testing Mountain Lion or uh, no what's it called uh, not Mountain Lion uh, Yosemite I was testing Yosemite on and uh, for production and I installed Audition Adobe Audition <sighs> it's so good it is an amazing audio editor and I I had used it years ago so I I was kind of like I was kind of impressed with it then but man they've, it's so good it's so so good. It's so good. And like compare and then I oh then I opened up our door again going back to because I edit w, I I'm currently editing Women's Tech Radio in our door. And so uh the the pains that I've been having in our door have kind of kind of would made me check out Audition. And so now I'm like trying to figure out if you can get Audition to run under Wine, which it seems to be currently not possible. It, uh, uh so I think I don't know. I, I guess see, I've been, I've always said that Linux has really great audio editing, but then and then I went and checked out our uh, audition, and I was like, "Ooh, this is is really great." And like the uh, like some of the plugins and effects that it ships with alone, <clears throat> uh, like it it does some really impressive like noise removal. If you have like something in the line that you don't like, uh, it has a it has a. I mean, all all editors have this, but it it's actually really good. Like it can sample a, a, a section, and then it's really good about. It visualizing for you how it's going to remove that and then you can adjust the sliders and you can it visually represents how it's going to clean that noise up and you can preview it in real time in any section of the audio you want and then you can say it's just it's the tools that it has are really nice so now 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 i'm feeling like our doors it's good but what right now I, i'm i i think our door is really good for recording but when it comes down to doing uh, high high level of production editing, like more than just cutting the top and adding music, when it comes down to really getting uh, in there, I don't know. All right, so somebody say something here. Can I hear? Oh, I, I have this thing. Yeah, there we go. Hello, who's there? Who is it? Is anybody listening? There we go. Here we go. Hey, there's Popey. There he is. Hey, handsome. Uh, of course, now Poby's going to be in Mumble End there. That's weird. Yeah, there you go. Good man. Get that. Get them pants on that head, Poby. 
<laughs> wow, you sound pretty good for a man that uses a blue snowball. That's You're not, not going to see any picture from me, though. Aww. Got a bit of blue tack over my uh, webcam. What's the matter? Are I, um, you uh, are you a secret agent? You can't you can't reveal your your image. Uh, just call me paranoid, right? Okay, all right. You can put up uh, if you want to pull hold up like a picture of Bill Clinton or something. You can run and go get it. <laughs> Who else do we have down here? Who else? Jitzer, what's your name, Jitzer? Um, there you go. Hello, Mister Corpse. To me. Yeah, hello. Yeah. Do you see what do you see back on what do you see back on your screen right now? From you, nothing. Uh, no, the wall. Oh, that's and, all you uh, get to and see. And myself, oddly. Oh, okay. That's pretty it's boring. But there's also at the but very bottom. There's all. There's everybody. You, you know just how like when hangouts. you speak, the light uh, around the window pops up. So you know who's speaking. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's quite cool. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And you can switch to whichever video to focus on it. Yeah, that's neat. I like that. Well, this is just like Hangouts. Yeah. It's ex- it's exactly like Hangouts, only it's encrypted and secure. And uh, can it do recording? It can do recording as well on the server, yeah. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's putting out the welcoming mat for all of those Mac switchers. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. <laughs> hey there, Matt. So uh, just before the pre-show, I was asking you, are you flooded in at all? Because here up in the beautiful, rainy Pacific Northwest, it is bad, Matt. I'm taking the, I have to put the four-wheel drive on to make it into the studio because I'm basically driving through a river. Oh wow! Yeah, it's, wow. yeah. The, the, so one of the roads, I, one of the roads I take, a good portion of it is totally underwater right now. Well, I know Sylvania is just basically get your scuba gear. I mean, yeah, that's, it's, uh, I can't get to my butcher. I can't. Yeah. They closed yeah. the road. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're done. I mean, Matt, they've got problems. Matt, how am I going to get my meat? You're going to have to... Boy, y- y- scuba gear. I mean, it's going to come down to scuba gear. Ooh. Yeah, we, we've been spared up here so far. Oh, uh, good. Nothing, I mean, yeah. as far as... But, but you've seen where I live. I live yeah. on a gigantic, like, Mr. Burns-style hill, so... Yeah, actually, well, one of the things I did early when we moved into the JB1 studio is I actually built a boat underneath the studio. <laughs> uh, I just got a wild idea to do it, and uh, so I figured I we did that. And uh, so if, they, if we have any flooding here, JB will be fine. We'll just float. Hey, uh, coming hey. up on this week's episode of the Linux Unplugged show, uh, we're going to get to some great follow-up. In fact, uh, we're going to get make good on a bet here in just a moment. We're going to cover something for the community. And then uh, Mr. Richard Stallman uh, had a talk recently, and it was pretty standard affair. He has a pretty good talk that he gives. But he had a couple of uh, moments that he uh, definitely emphasized. And I, wanted, and I think I want to have a real talk with the uh, virtual lug about some of the things he said. And because I think there's a lot going to be a lot of conflict in it, and it's something we need to just have an honest discussion about. It's not going to be to make fun of RMS. It will be to have a legitimate discussion of some of the points he makes. Uh, and then later on in the show, I, I had a 2014 prediction that uh, – or I'm sorry, a 2015 prediction mm-hmm. that more of uh, – not all, not a lot, not not like millions, but a noticeable percentage of high-end Mac users would get frustrated and begin – abandoning the Mac OS platform and switch back to Linux. Users that perhaps we had lost along the way, Ubuntu, Ubuntu, uh, users we lost along the way that might come back. Well, uh, over the weekend, a total S-storm developed in the Mac community that ended up making it up onto CNBC national television, uh, lots of uh, articles written about it, about the decline of Mac software and about developers who've been around for 10 plus years switching to Linux platform. I'm going to tell you about that 
And uh, maybe if there is an advantage in there for Linux. Hmm. Yeah, we'll hmm. see. So why don't we bring in our, uh, our virtual lug, a time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. 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 Hey there. Hello. Great to have you guys Top along. Good morning to you. No. All right. So, uh, Popey, since you're here, uh, let's cash in on a bet. Uh, Popey, you in a prediction said that if Ubuntu does not, t- does not ship on a phone by the end of 2014, you'd wear pants on your head. And here you what? are. Boom, right there for the internet to see Popey making good Ninja Turtles pants on his head. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get them clean first, obviously. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I oh hope my. so. That's kind of like a trophy of shame. Now, uh, I, I think you should save that. And then uh, if somebody else fails a pants bet, you should ship the box, but they have to pay for the shipping. So it's not out of your pocket. Like, you should just pass that around now. Oh, yeah, it has to be a pair of pants every time. Well, it could be. I'm just po- proposing that as an option. It, that might I not like be that. practical, but Well, because, be. I mean, as soon as it leaves my house, I, I'm no longer obligated to wear them anymore. Right, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, unless you true, fail another bet. True. Unless you fail another bet. <laughs> right. So good on you. Uh, I like this. You know what? Uh, honestly, Matt... You might have considered going this route instead of an entire monkey suit. Uh, oh, I know, right? I mean, <laughs> tell me about it. I still got that thing. Oh, yeah. I still got my... I might even, might, yeah, I might even uh, make, make a reappearance here someday. Never I know. got my man in the yellow hat outfit, so uh, <laughs> he could always bust it out. Uh, you know, we were talking about production on Linux uh, more and more recently, but on the pre-show even. And uh, Katie and Live fan wrote in. He said, hey, I don't know if you caught this, but there's some news about Katie and Live. John... Baptiste uh, has gone, uh, got the Academy Award for the best application in 2014. Here we go. This is, this is pulled, he pulled from the uh, forum for Kadian Live. He says, JBM is back with a vengeance developing Kadian Live after being pretty much out of action for about a year and a half. He's been sl- slaving away, porting the application to the latest version of KDE's frameworks, which means there's not much of for us lowly users yet, but what it means in the long run is that the application can mo- keep moving forward with the latest developments of the underlying application framework for which it is built. So in other words, it sounds like KDN Live might be moving to QT5 and development has begun again on uh, nice. favorite editor. Man, nice, you, nice. Have you use KDN Live much? I, I live in it. Um, you oh, know, really? I used to be it's an, one of your I go-tos? Oh, it's it's unbelievable because it used to be you know my favorite. Let's crash an editor editor, but here in recent years, it surprisingly will take a beating. It's fast, it's stable. Surprisingly, hmm. um, I can add to it all day long. I can have fifty lines of whatever. It doesn't care. It just works, it's and it's badger, like huh? yeah, and it you know it makes a lot of you know, like compositing and green screen and all that type of stuff. It makes it real easy to do. Cool. Um, once you get used to the flow, you know, for casual usage, I would recommend it. Yeah. Well, then I'm glad to hear the development continues. So thank you to Katie and yeah. LifeFan for sending that in. I, uh, I, I think I've had probably more luck with the uh, uh, earlier versions of OpenShot. But um, I, I want to like it. It just, it, it just I, you know, I can only hit save so many times. Well, um, after a while. You do have to just, develop a save tick. God, you do. <laughs> it, you know, and, and if I want to do anything with any, you know, you know, more than three yeah. lines or, you know, oh, forget it. it. It's just, it needs a little work. I'm excited to see what they do in the future, though. So, so I, uh, you know, since since uh, we moved into JB1 um, uh, last year, Rikai has been our editor. So I don't actually do any video editing, really, anymore, unless I, unless I want to. Uh, so it's not really been something that I've had to really push very much, but... Yeah. Uh, I have uh, um, it's called uh, Avid Mux. Am I saying that right, guys? Are you familiar with this? Sounds Avid close. Avid Mux. Avid Mux. Yes. Okay. So you guys all know what I'm talking about, right? This, like for example, uh, today I got uh, like three clips from uh, RMS's speech, and what it allows me to do is I opened up the uh, WebM file that RMS's speech is in, 
And I was able to go in and just say, here's a marker, and now here's a marker out. Take these, take the, between these two markers and save that as its own standalone WebM file. And it doesn't do any recoding. It doesn't. It just takes that section of the file out, reencapsulates it back in a WebM wrapper, and and just drops it on the file system. It so there's no degradation in quality because there's no reencoding. Very sweet like that. Very sweet like that. Yeah, and it does it with all basically anything you got a codec for. And so what you really got to which so so you might consider like if you don't need a full fledged freaking editor, sometimes you can do quite a bit with just chopping the ends mm-hmm. and maybe even dropping in and pasting in like maybe intro and outro clips, and you don't even need a full thing because then you just save that out to one MKV master file, and then you run that through Handbrake to make your versions, and you're done. It's really easy. So you don't. What I'm discovering is is I started rethinking about this, and what I realized is well, if my if my production needs are reduced now that Rika is really handling handling the editing of the shows then maybe I don't need a full-fledged editing suite of tools. And once I kind of made that shift in mindset, it really was a lot easier. But it depends on your workload. Uh, All right. Very good. So uh, we've got a few things I want to talk about. Uh, And uh, Kernel Linux, are are you still here? Yes, you are, but you're you're muted. All right, well, stand by. Uh, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to go to you. uh, But first, I'll let you get your audio sorted while I take a quick moment and talk about Linux Academy. Uh, so Linux Academy is a sponsor of the Linux Unplugged show, and I think they're a perfect fit for our audience. We were just talking about kind of moving yourself forward a little bit and trying new things and re- changing the way you think about things. That's one of the things that Linux Academy has allowed me to do. Here's why. If, if, you can get started by going to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You'll get our special 33% discount. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And then you get access to all of their content. I've, I've logged in there. And I've been surprised. I, I kind of had a, re- I had a rethinking process when I went to linuxacademy.com specifically slash DevOps. And I realized that DevOps is actually something that I guess I was, I was sort of doing for a long time and didn't realize that's what we would call it. And this is an area that's growing like, like nuts. And so Linux Academy has been developing courseware specifically for that area. But they've also got courseware you, you could, anything you'd want to scratch a niche on for Linux. Uh, really from mastering Linux to absolute beginner stuff. And you can walk away from this and go get certifications. It happens all the time. In fact, I've been getting some success stories, which is awesome. Thank you to the audience for sending that in. And keep sending if you get, if you get a cert after taking a Linux Academy course, I love hearing about it. So keep sending them in. It's really encouraging too because if you ever kind of bottom out a little bit, they've got a community of support that will help you kind of get going again. But they also have a system that will give you really easy to adjust and assess time for how long something's going to take. You'll log in. You're going to say, this section's going to take this long. This section's going to take this long. You need this much time. And you can say, you know what, Linux Academy? Bro, I only got so much time. I'm a busy man. And it will automatically create a learning plan that, ma- that matches that amount of time. You could downloadable comprehensive study guides. Virtual labs you can work in. They'll spin them up on the back end. Seven plus Linux distributions you get to choose from. They automatically adjust the courseware to those Linux distributions. I mean, this is a seriously slick system because it's created by people that are enthusiastic and passionate about Linux. Now, if you're a listener of this show, you know what that difference means. When somebody actually cares about open source and Linux versus just a general education site, it is the final gap. It's that gap that closes the uncanny valley. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Get our 33% discount. Get access to everything they're doing. Some great new Docker courseware just went up. Also, the uh, Puppet Professional stuff. The Puppet stuff they've got now, you start at Total Noob. You know, I know Puppet's this thing that lets me, like, manage servers. And you go to, like, okay, I'm ready to go get the cert. Seriously, it's all the way through. And you can do stuff in practicality. They have scenario-based courseware. It's so great. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go check them out. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged show. 
All right, Mr. Colonel Lennox, are you back now? I got my voice back. Hi there. I missed you. So uh, I wanted to talk about some upcoming conferences. Uh, the first one on the list is Scale 13, February 19th to the 22nd. It's a big one at the Hilton Los Angeles Airport. Are you still on your radar planning to go to this? I am. In fact, I, I've been to most of the, the Linux conferences multiple times, but I've never been to Scale. So this will be my first time at Scale. And I have to say the thing I'm most excited for is apparently you can paint – with uh you can paint with like they have like a bio lab and you can um and you you can take the the bio biological material and paint make like drawings and stuff with whoa. it whoa yeah whoa i also wow. see yeah. they're doing the traditional uh, pgp key signing party which is great now mm-hmm. do you know anybody else on the crew is anybody else yet confirmed going not that i okay. uh not that i know of so we're going to start organizing something around scale uh, so that's coming up, and it, and if you're thinking of going, make sure you say hi to Noah, and anybody else ends up making it on the crew. The next big one for us, where we really go all out, is Linux Fest Northwest 2015. It's going to be the big, biggest Linux Fest ever, Bellingham, Washington, April 25th to the 26th. This, I think, is going to be a huge year for Linux Fest because it's just been getting bigger and, and huger every single year, and every year the feedback is always so positive that it just seems to continually grow. Uh, I, I know this one's pretty far away because it's right up in our corner of the Pacific Northwest, but I'd love to encourage the audience to make it out. We're going to go all out. Uh, we're, we're talking to them about uh, having two booths so that way we have enough room to spread out. And uh, <laughs> if, you know, if you know what that's like, having two booths at a conference like this, that's really quite an event, and uh, I think it's going to be amazing. And hopefully, and not everything's lined up yet, we're all at the very beginning stages, but hopefully we'll be able to live stream uh, the entire thing. And uh, we might even be able to do that using Linux. So stay tuned for information nice. on that. So we'll have links to both those in the show notes if you want to check out more details. Love to see you guys at Linux Fest Northwest. I think we're going to go all out. And uh, I hope we're going to get as much of the crew out here as possible. So uh, we'll find out. And that's, uh, again, April 25th and the 26th, 2015 in Bellingham, Washington, LinuxFestNorthwest.org for more information. Mr. Rotten Corpse, are you still here or did you have to jet off? I'm, I'm here. All right. And are you ready to talk about the new pick site that you set up? Yep, sure. All right, so it's at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks. And now with the complete entire, essentially nine-year history, list. runs Linux. This is unbelievable. It made me realize how, how old the show. Episode one, Linux Action Show. My TiVo runs Linux June, oh, 10th, wow. <laughs> June 10th, 2006, which is quite a long time ago. So Rotten wow. Corpse, tell us about this pick site and uh, how maybe people could contribute, fork their sure. own, etc. The pick site is um, it's it's written in PHP, so if you know PHP, you can help out with that in that case. But if you don't, you can actually uh, contribute through adding data to from the GitHub site. So if you if you go to the GitHub page, you'll see that there is a, a, a folder that says site, and then inside that folder is the data file, and everything's stored in the data file. Oh, okay. So there's a template in the data file, so you just copy and paste and add it to the to the bottom of the file, and it's it's that simple to just change the numbers and then add the like the name of the pick and the URL, and uh, that's and that's pretty much all you have to do, and just send the put send a pull request. And I have a tutorial that I'm working on that explains how to do everything, but um, also another tutorial to how to keep your stuff up to date with the main branch. But the uh, the one of the things I like about the site is that it's uh, mobile friendly, so it, you just, if you pull it up on a tablet or a phone, it will uh, re- adju- you know responsively adjust itself to fit everything. And yeah, it uh, one of the That's coolest really... features I like is 
the um, the calendar jump. So you can just click at the top right button, and you can choose just between. Oh, uh, look at that! That's yeah, neat. Really so you can go back to 2012 or whatever. Woo! Oh, that's slick. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's especially useful on the runs Linux one. Uh, boy, you're making me feel really old though. When I realize how old the show <laughs> is, that's that's kind <laughs> of honestly tripping me out a little bit. Uh, to see all of it linked and noted here, this is really the first time I've seen a list of the show like this because the back catalog is in, is in such disarray. Um, I've never actually seen it visualized like this. As funny as that might seem. Um, yeah, so, it took quite a while to set it up, though. So um, uh, well, there's a lot of people that helped on it. And you can go to the, the GitHub thing and see that in the contribute section who helped out. Uh, so it was really – I couldn't have done it by myself. But uh, the, one of the another cool things that I set up is uh, an API. That so developers can take all the data out, and uh, you just go to the contribute section, and there's an API link. Right now, it's just JSON, but there will be other <laughs> output formats as well. And you made so this video here just, about it. Yeah, the video is actually just uh, the keeping your sync. I, I need to make. I'm still make working on another. Oh, one. oh! If people want their own their own list, their own copy. Yeah, if they want to help, they need to fork the original repo, and then once you make changes or someone else makes changes, it might confuse. Uh, People who've never used Git before, so this video is just to help them keep their repo in sync with the master. Well, it's pretty neat to see all this, and this is a common request, and it's something we've tried in different forms, uh, thanks to various volunteers in the past. You know, they've done unofficial lists on their own, and they've tried doing it in different capacities, but uh, uh, this one, it's it's much easier to find, for one, because it's just it's a jupiterbroadcasting.com slash uh so that's nice, but also I like that the community can also keep it up to date. If anybody can contribute, and you don't need to know how to code at all, just go to the contribute section and you know uh, just walk through it, and then fork your own fork your own repo, and that's it. Not to uh, repeat myself, but uh, if you get up if you get a new Android device or a new Linux desktop, I totally recommend going to the desktop apps or the Android apps and checking out some of the picks. There are some super really really good apps. I really like this list. Uh, I, I work really hard to pick these apps to make sure they're. Um, as good as possible whenever I can. It's not always possible, but uh, I really stand by all of these app picks. And uh, so if you've got a new rig to set up, that's a great list to start with right there. And uh, you can, again, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash last picks. It's just a great resource for the community. And thank you for everybody who's helped Rotten Corpse and a big thank you to producer Rotten Corpse yeah. for creating that for us. Well, it was such a gold mine because, I mean, I remember AirDroid when you guys featured that. You know, I was just yeah. like, that's what really sold me on Android right there. I was like, I can't do this on my on my other device. This was awesome. Well, you know? it's also nice for me because I have a pretty good idea of what I've covered before. And I can always do a site search. But uh, to have the list and just be able to go to the list and search to see, have I picked this app before? Exactly. Sometimes there's ones I'm like, oh, how, how, can, how, could I, how could I have skipped this? Oh, my gosh. I need to go pick this right now. And then it's so I go search to see if I've done it. I have not I'm like, oh, I'm good. this is my app pick. So also helps for no duplicates too. Yes, exactly. Oh, totally. That's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm saying. Thank you, sir, very much. And it'd be interesting to see if any developers manage to pull that into their app. That could be a that could be mm-hmm. a neat like like when you're listening to an episode, if they could pull in like here's just the picks, boom, from this episode right there. You never know. All right. Well, I'll tell you about something I pick. That's DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com, sponsored Linux Unplugged program. And use our promo code. We've got it just for a little bit. We're hanging on to it because we're retro, because we're hip but not stirs, it's Unplugged December. That's a $10 credit for DigitalOcean, Unplugged December. And what's great about DigitalOcean is you just go in there and apply it to your account, and you don't even have to put a credit card in there to try out DigitalOcean. So what is DigitalOcean? It's a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up 
your own server that you get root access to. And you can start in less than a minute, about 55 seconds, maybe even less than that. I often see a lot less than that. And it only it starts, get this, $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And they have data centers in New York and San Francisco and Singapore and Amsterdam and London, but they're beautiful too. And they have multiple data centers in those locations. You can do private networking within the data centers, which doesn't count against your bandwidth totals. So if you want to have a front-end web server and a back-end database server or some caching, that's a really, really nice option. You could also do something like have a couple of front-end servers and a back-end NAS server, put Open Media Vault on there. There's all kinds of things you can do once you get, uh, once you get access to the box because you've got root control of it. And what's really great is it's all powered by this dashboard that DigitalOcean has created. And it's so, it's so great. I mean, they've got the super powerful hardware with the SSD drives and the Tier 1 bandwidth all running on top of Linux using KVM like a boss. And then they came up with this interface. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? You've made it this easy? It's so intuitive. And power users can replicate the interface on a larger scale with DigitalOcean's straightforward API. And so there's tons of great community apps because once you get a good API for a popular service, well, if you make the API... They will come, as Kevin Costner has taught us. And DigitalOcean knows it, so they've made that. Uh, we were just uh, on the pre-show checking out uh, Meet, uh, Meet Jitsi implementation that's running on a DigitalOcean droplet. Fully encrypted, exactly like Hangouts where it does the auto-switching and you get the little tiles below of who's talking. It's all built into the browser, running on a DigitalOcean droplet right now. It's so many opportunities. Uh, and there's great tutorials because they're willing to pay money for those tutorials. In fact, we've got a link in the show notes. DigitalOcean can pay up to $200 if you've got something you can write. Here's an example of one I think I'm going to go for, especially as my son gets more and more into reading and then pretty soon my daughter. This is how to create a Calibre, a Calibre ebook server on Ubuntu. Yes, I said Ubuntu. Yes, I said Ubuntu 14.04. Right there, you go get the DigitalOcean droplet. You use our promo code, Unplug December. You get the $10 credit. You go create yourself an ebook server. Calibre is amazing. It's something I want to do an entire episode on at one point. But now I'm thinking this is step one for me. Try this out. It's just another use of the, of the really millions of possibilities you could use a DigitalOcean droplet for. Unplug December, DigitalOcean. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged program. All right. So uh, Richard Stallman had a talk recently, uh, and it's pretty standard affair. Uh, freedom in your computer and in the net. He says, for freedom in your own computer, the software must be free. For freedom on the Internet, we must organize against surveillance, censorship, software as a service, and the war against sharing. Pretty common uh, approach for Mr. Stallman. And a message that's definitely worth listening to. In fact, that's why I encouraged people at the end of last week's last to go listen to it. However... Where I run into is a little bit of the practicalities, and I want, this is what I want to discuss with you guys. So I've pulled three clips from his talk that he normally goes down this path, but he emphasizes these points pretty hard in his talk. And uh, I think I'd like to hear from all of us who have worked in any kind of software industry where, that's, where, that, where that company's goal has been perhaps to have some level of profit and make money. And I think that, and that could be, it could be a lot of us that work in the contra- uh, contracting capacity, people who develop software and sell it. Uh, and so, uh, in Richard Stallman's talk today, he talks about how these companies that use software as a means to make money are simply doing it for a greedy purpose. And I want to play the clip, and I want to talk about it because, in his opinion, there's no way around it. It's evil by nature. Users of proprietary software are being victimized by proprietary malware. Of course, the reason they do this is typically for profit. It's not that they're sadists that enjoy mistreating people. No, they're totally egoistical, and they do this for profit. 
Uh, like they, the more users they make captive, the more they can sell to somebody else. And in effect, proprietary software is all a swindle. And they're not even ashamed of it. They have conferences where they talk about their latest advances in how to make users captive and mistreat them. In effect, the proprietary software world is one where the ethical standards of treating the customers or the users have disappeared. Any mistreatment of those users is okay. There may be some pesky laws or regulations they have to find an excuse to bypass. Like, So uh, his point is, is that they're, they're fundamentally, it's going to be an evil motive. And uh, I, I guess, do you, are we victims of, of commercial software in the sense that uh, we are not allowed to have control over it in the end, which is what his point was? Uh, and here's here's why I ask this, because right now we are in the thick of CES. The Consumer Electronics Show is happening right now. And just like Richard said, these companies are up on stage and they're bragging about the ecosystem. They're bragging about the lock-in. I watched the Asus keynote and I... I literally felt belittled. I felt like he's and he's holding a phone up there. And he's like, and for those of you who like to think out the box, here's three models you can pick from because you're a renegade. And it felt like they were formulaically <laughs> looking at the audience and saying, well, these people identify as this. So here's their product. And these people identify as this. So here's their product. And it, it felt like they were actually their intention was the exact opposite of their message. It felt it felt gross. Mm. And so I, when and, and again, it's about locking me into their system. So what RMS says is very extreme. But yet when I look at the background of CES happening right now, I think long term, I think you might be a little right. Well, you know, I, I look at it as, as this from just a nuts and bolts point of view. He's accurate. He, what he's saying is true. Unfortunately, and I and I know that he doesn't care about this, but this is a reality. Convenience always and will until the end of time unless we end up in some apocalyptic world will always trump privacy and it just that's just a reality we we give way to it every single day oh you want to use a, a club savings card at your grocery store it'll save you 30 cents sure you're giving up your privacy but you know it's saving you a little money and it's convenient hmm. we'll always give way to that now that's not to say everybody will but i think that that's the underlying issue um, you know, does that make what Richard says wrong or bad in some capacity? Not at all. No, I, I think that what he's saying is fine. I have no problem with it. But I would point out that no one's going to rat, suddenly change their mind unless they experience that victimization that he's speaking of. Okay, Colonel, like, show me the money. What do you think? You think so, it's all about the money? Right. So what? So he's right when he says that those companies make a lot of decisions based purely on capital. And why wouldn't they? Those businesses exist to make money and they don't care about users freedoms and why would they that's not a profitable aspect to them but if you make it a profitable aspect to, you know to them either by one as users if we say i'm just not going to buy if if i can't buy a device that i have administrative access to or can get administrative access to then i just won't buy it i'll buy all i'll buy this device or this competing device and you don't give them your money that's one way you can for that you can you can show those companies that if if they want, give them a way to make money by supporting users' freedoms. The second way you can do that is I've gone into – I can't count how many businesses I've gone into and said you shouldn't use Microsoft Office. You should use LibreOffice. Now, there, the, 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 the concept of freedom and the concept of users' rights, they couldn't care less about. But when I tell them, well, instead of paying $300 a year or $400 a year to upgrade to the newest version every year, 
You just go to this site, you click on this download link, and it's free for all 60 of your computers. And you start putting that on paper and shove it in front of a, in front of a president's face. Now they care. Now it yeah, means money. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, Wimpy, are you a victim when you buy your Amazon Fire TV? Are you now uh, a victim? <laughs> well, Richard Stallman would say that I'm a victim. I'm just uh, uh, a slave to convenience, I suppose, really, mm, aren't I? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm a pragmatist, much more of a pragmatist than Stallman is, that's for sure. Rotten Corpse, you think in the long run, though, RMS is right? Yeah, I mean, I think RMS has kind of already proven that the, the, the message is is right because and when he started doing this there was basically no options for like as soon as the the proprietary stuff took hold there was only proprietary stuff and now there's actually people who have joined the argument in projects like firefox and stuff that are trying to keep things in a, in a way for freedom is important to them and i think in the long term it will be eventually it will people will realize but it's in the short term. It's really hard to convince them, other than the, you know the stuff that's free money wise. But uh, I think that what Mad Dog said is also a really good point. That instead of trying to explain the freedom, uh, explain the fact that you're technically a slave to the product. The products. Okay, Wimpy, go ahead, take your shot. So you think uh, Fire TV and freedom? There's an intersection here. You're ready to defend it. Go. No, I'm not going to defend it. <laughs> <laughs> What, what I was going to say is that, um, for me, the Fire TV is a convenient device because it was inexpensive and I can plug it in and it works and it does what I need it to do. But if um, I needed to exercise my freedoms, then I'm perfectly capable of building a, um, a XBMC or Kodi uh, set-top box using a Raspberry Pi and streaming the content over NFS from a server in the house. So hmm. I have I have my choices. I've just chosen convenience over protecting my freedoms in this case. And let's not forget the the content that I'm consuming on my Fire TV or my XBMC Kodi box is proprietary and copyright and license encumbered anyway. Mm-hmm. So. All right. You know. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. But uh, yeah. uh, Daredevil, let me ask you this. If uh, those of us who have the option to implement a free system don't elect to do it, then who will? And will those options fade away long term? I mean, I'm talking really big picture uh, like this is in a way um, the expression of human thought. It is it is something that maybe should be protected. And if those of us who have the means to implement the version that protects that thought for the future generations don't implement those options, Daredevil, I'm asking you, don't we sort of condemn those options? Yes, but I feel that we have an option to still make a transition easier, but currently the tools that we have at our disposal have been really hard to push to the the public. But there is a place that we're starting to get our feet in, which is in government institutions because of cost. And through this, we can influence a future road path that actually makes sensible copyright law that actually fixes the problem at its core, not just, you know, we're still on the fight, corporations, free software, and sometimes the corporations align with us, and then it gets fuzzy, right? Well, so I feel that... RMS, yeah. RMS would disagree with you. Uh, so you, are, you sound like an optimist. That's nice. RMS would say, no, it's not going to go that way. In fact, RMS says what our duty is is we have to protest these companies. Now, 
<clears throat> we have to fight back. For instance, we have to protest whenever the representatives of the companies that mistreat people show up to speak, recruit, or whatever. If there's an Apple or Microsoft or Adobe or et cetera recruiting team coming to your university, well, organize a protest and teach, explain to people why, it, why that company is doing harm. So, uh, Popia, I know this is maybe a point that you might have contention with. Do you think the appropriate way to express this is through protesting like the Apple Genius Bar? <laughs> well, yeah, I have. I mean, you've obviously poked something there where I, I have. I, I don't like some of the, the means by which this is done. I think the positive way to do things is to write good software, write good free software to continually berate uh, companies that make proprietary software. I don't it isn't working. I don't think it ever has really worked. I think what has worked is producing great alternatives to proprietary software in the form of free software. Hmm. And how do you and also market that software? Well, well and yeah. Honest, go ahead. Honestly, Daniel. it even fails the core. Our econo economies are based on intellectual property. The, the real exports of nowadays modern societies is intellectual property. If you don't fix it in a way that incentivizes business to move away from that direction, then you're killing yourself. It's not just asking to the corporations to stop, it's asking the country to stop. Mm. And that doesn't make sense to anybody. So that I feel that there needs to be a tangible way to make a transition. If you don't offer a transition to people, they won't care. Because they will look at the benefits of these proprietary software and actually discard some of the inconveniences. Right. We need to teach exactly. people in one hand, but at the same time we need to provide a transitional. And not just with quality software, because quality software can be transformed into proprietary. Look at PSD license, for example. Explicitly allows this. And I feel that if you don't fix the core issues, you're going to run into them later or sooner. It doesn't matter. You will run into them. RMS would argue that I think it needs to begin with the individual developer. At the end of the talk, you did a Q&A, and the question came up, well, what if I want to make money? People might like to make a living out of selling their software, so which business model would you suggest? Okay, the first question is, they might, the point is, they might like to do that, but if they, but that doesn't justify or excuse doing it in an unethical way. Proprietary software is an injustice. They shouldn't do that. Uh, but there are, there are many free software business models, like there is selling support, there is constructing custom solutions paid by the clients. You can deliver the solution as free software. The client's still going to have to pay. Uh, there is crowdfunding. There's just plain asking for donations. There's a GNU package called Lily Pond for editing musical scores. And the maintainer gets enough money just from users that are happy and send it. There are others as well. There are big companies that fund development of useful free software. Governments fund a lot, especially in Europe. So, yes, there are ways to do this. But if you don't find one, that doesn't excuse non-free software. Next. So that's a pretty radical stance, and I think that's where it starts to lose the message with a lot of people. Daredevil, you have any follow-up thoughts on that? Yes. 
and this is as a software developer i have to agree you can actually because your client especially when it's a client that doesn't have the technical understanding you can claim that this is the appropriate way of doing and i work on my own uh, bucket so i can decide these things but i understand that the models and the great companies currently didn't uh, weren't like in the united states you have a red hat and we here kind of have open SUSE, right so SUSE. But it's still a round of a hybrid model. You still have canonical, but it's still a hybrid model. So there has some, some benefits on the hybrid model. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the, the selected model, right? Yeah. So unless there is a fix on the policy, I don't think there will be a, 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 not even a, a, a fight that will actually make a dent in solving the issue. We as developers, we can bring up, but most of us can actually argue that we're already doing free software for the companies. We give our copyright to the company that paid us. So as developers are really doing committing a crime, perhaps the company model is. But at that point, it's like me saying, I'm going to enforce, enforce anyone that got my software to not use it somewhere else. Yeah. Like, yeah. doesn't make sense. Can I just interject here yeah, and uh, point out that this isn't actually an abstract argument because what RMS is talking about is a framework of social justice that is around software but is in terms of technology that we're using now mm -hmm. for technology that can be more important to us in the future. Things like, you know, heart pacemakers, Kirai, you know, smarter TVs, smarter Your car, cars. Even. Exactly. Now, the point is, okay, how ethical is it for someone like you're right to not be have access to the safety aspects of those devices to make sure that they are safe for them? Okay, when some company decides you're right, to look it up, okay, right, and throw away the key. I, I look at it from a completely different perspective from that, too. I look at it from a 200-year perspective. I try to look, think ahead, and I try to think looking back at our history and our creations, if these things are locked away uh, behind uh, these proprietary licenses and walls, uh, in the long term, they're a loss. Uh, they, don't, they don't better the whole, uh, which is uh, kind of sad. Well, well, it is human nature to share things. I mean, the whole point about proprietary stuff, okay, is that, you know, when man discovered fire, okay, it wasn't something he hoarded himself, okay, right, and kept for himself, right? It's <laughs> a question, okay, if, you know, everyone benefited from the idea, okay, of you know, making fire. That's because inherently, okay, it's a human nature, okay, to swap ideas, okay, and to discuss mm -hmm. and uh, to things. It's this in sort of, com you know, commercialistic aspect, okay, that's made us sort of very um, selfish right. in terms of It is of against ideas. human nature. Like, uh, that's why I think a lot of people get into software, like on the commercial desktops. I think that's why a lot of people get into piracy. I think that's why a lot of people share stuff. Uh, before I knew about music piracy, I was making mixed tapes with friends and we were sharing them. I didn't know that was stealing music. That was just sharing something I liked with my friends. Oh, uh, hell, back in 1982, okay, I was sharing all these Spectrum games on tapes and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> so, <I> mean... <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. Uh, so the whole talk is linked in the show notes if you want to check it out. Uh, one thing is, is uh, you know, the message is always very strong. And then uh, if you uh, think about it a little bit, sometimes you get to the truth underneath it. I'll tell you about the truth of my savings. That's Ting. Go to linux.ting.com, sponsor of the Linux Unplugged show. And now I'm, I'm, I have turned the corner on my two years with Ting. And what's uh, well, Yeah, I know. I know, it's awesome. And it's great because I've only paid for what I use. I've got no contract, no early termination fee. And remember, Ting's got that savings calculator. So if you're noodling around how much you would save, go put in your actual monthly usage. So how you make a lot of calls. Let's say you make, let's say you make 100 minutes. I doubt it. 
I, I doubt it. Do you even talk on the phone for an hour? Let's tr- let's say sixty minutes. Let's go. You know what? Let's say you do. Let's say eighty minutes because you know grandma called. Uh, text messages. You know you get that uh, damn SMS um, um, system that goes off accidentally because something went off on your alert system. So you get three hundred text messages. Let's say. Uh, but normally you don't. But let's just say this this month you got a lot of text messages. Uh, and megabytes used because then you had to go uh, log into uh, the remote GUI to disable the alerts. And, of course, it downloads all those damn graphs every time you have to do it. Uh, let's say you used 800 megabytes. So, well, no, so you know what? You used a gig. It was a really bad month because your job sucks. Uh, so now what was your bill? Because you're in a contract, right? If it's bill, if your bill's like mine, let's say it's 130 bucks. All right, you go calculate your savings. Just go see what you'd use. Now, depending on your usage, these numbers will change. So go over to the TIN calculator and try it out. But boom, over a two-year period, if you're like Chris and you're at your, you're, you're making, you're, you're just passing the two-year mark, $2,328 saved over two years by switching to TIN. And Ting is just starting to get better. Not only do they have an early termination relief program, no-hold customer service, an incredible dashboard, but Ting is also... Going to GSM in February, where you'll be able to do CDMA and GSM under one account. And one of the things I love about Ting is they've always got your back. This model allows for them to be unlike any other carrier. And so one of their uh, series they have on their blog now, the Ting Tip, and the first one in the Ting Tip is reducing your data usage in Google Chrome. So if you use Chrome on Android like I've been using... Uh, I like Firefox too on Android, but I've been using Chrome more. Uh, they have a step-by-step process with nice animated GIFs, so uh, or GIFs, whatever you want. Uh, so you can just go there. You don't have to have Flash. Come on, right? You're not an animal. Plus, it works on your mobile this way. And you go in there, you go through these settings, and they'll talk to you about how to do reduce data usage on Chrome. The Ting blog is always featuring really great stuff, app picks, stuff about their GSM coverage. Uh, and now these, the Ting Tips, to help reduce data usage. Yeah, the, the mobile carrier is writing up great how-tos to save data. And by the way, you don't have to be a Ting customer, obviously, to take advantage of these tips. But it's pretty cool that Ting's putting them out there. So go to linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com. It's Linux. L-I-N-U-X. I'm sorry. Uh, GNU Linux was already taken. We couldn't we couldn't use that one. So it's just linux.ting.com. That'll take $25 off your first Ting device. If you got a Ting-compatible device, guess what? If you got one you can just bring with you, they're going to give you $25 of credits. They'll probably pay for your first month of Ting. It's pretty great. Linux.ting.com and a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged show. So uh, one of the things we noticed, Colonel Linux and I, when we're at these events is they're in a wash of MacBooks. It is gross. It is full of MacBooks. So we're going to talk a little bit about this. And I want to say at the beginning of the segment, if you're listening to this show and Mac OS X works for you, and the Mac hardware works for you, no judgy. Good for you. I have no problems with that. This is not going to be an attack on your choices. If it were, I acknowledge that for many, it works. Probably many. So I want to just dis- disclaim that right now. This is not an attack on those of you who choose to use the Mac. But I made the prediction in our predictions episode that I felt like people are going to start getting really burned out with Mac OS X. The quality isn't so good. You start to feel the walls of the sandbox pretty quick, and you kind of get tired and burned out on what I call like it's, – it's, I don't have a great term for it, but I think of it as like the marketing debt of OS X. Like there's a, there is a direction that Apple as a company is going in, and in order to make the whole product line look like it's going in that direction – Apple will unnecessarily do things to OS X to fit that. Like, you know, all of a sudden rebranding the way it looks with unneeded transparencies that slow it down or 
uh, yearly release cycles. That way it feels like your phone's firmware and you think of it as a firmware, not an OS release. And in, 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 in the meantime, they don't have enough time to do Q&A. These kinds of things I feel like will begin to grate on people. So that's where we begin today. Marco Armet, who is, uh, he was the guy that originally wrote uh, Tumblr. He created Instagram. He's the current developer of Overcast. He hosts the podcast, the Accidental Tech Podcast, and he used to be the publisher of the magazine. And he's uh, one of the top sellers in the iOS App Store. And he wrote on his blog over the weekend that Apple has lost the functional high ground, that Apple's hardware, while great, does not, is not matched in OS quality. In fact, he goes on to say that it's gotten pretty bad. And he goes on to cite that a recent developer, a well-known developer, who's switching to the Linux desktop. So Marco's argument here is that essentially what my prediction was is that Apple's marketing is pushing the OS in directions and at a pace that they cannot sustain internally, development-wise, that the quality has been on a rapid decline. In fact, word for word, he says, I suspect the rapid decline of Apple software is a sign that the marketing is too high a priority at Apple today. This is a long-term Apple developer who makes his money on the Apple platform saying this. Not Chris. This is not Chris saying this. This is Marco saying this. And I think that's remarkable. And this also comes just after uh, Jeff Wozniak, or Geoff Wozniak, I'm not sure how you say his name, 10-year developer of OS X, switched to Linux in late 2014, and he says it was the best tech decision he made all year. He says he started using OS X in 2005, when OS X was at version 10.4 Tiger. He was having troubles with Linux, and he moved over to OS X. He was happy as up to OS 10.6 Snow Leopard, thought it was pretty good. Then things started to show up that he didn't like in OS 10.7. Features like Launchpad that didn't really resonate with him. And as things progressed, he became increasingly annoyed and disconnected with the environment. He said he found he'd stopped using the majority of the primary apps that shipped with OS 10, like Mail, Safari, iTunes, and the Apple creativity apps like the iLife suite. For the, more, for the most part, he says, he ran essentially Firefox, MailMate, and a terminal. Most of his work was done in terminals. The culture of the operating system at this point was more about sharing than it was personal productivity. In short, he says, I was working against the grain of the environment. I was working against the grain of the environment. I was in a gradual transition. But OS X, it went from a useful tool that got my work done to an obnoxious ecosystem that I no longer wanted to be part of. He goes on to talk about how it was daunting that there was a complete lack of transparency in future software development and a decline in quality as he perceived it, which makes it a... a tenuous relationship when you're using it as your development platform. And then he says 10.10 Yosemite hit. The upgrade was egregious, he says. Messages in 10.10 is a complete shit show. It's a stunning regression, he says. At this point, my default position on Apple software in OS X has moved from probably good to probably not okay. They seem more interested in pumping out quantity by the way of upgrades. It's death by, it's death by a thousand cuts, but it's death nonetheless. He says, I came to a realization I was frustrated and disappointed by OS X, and I didn't see it getting better. So I quit. Now, he goes on to admit, I've gone back to running Linux, and I consider it somewhat inferior, if not markedly inferior, to OS X in terms of usability. But it feels like a personal computer again. I'm enjoying the experience and look forward to working with it, even if it's a monumental pain in the ass. And then he links to Pulse Audio. <laughs> Yeah, he links to Paul's oh, audio at the end. I, I, you know, that was probably the most truthful article I've heard in a long time because he nailed it at the end. He nailed it in the middle. Um, yeah. Ten-year developer on OS X. Plus, you've got wow. Marco Armit, one of the top iOS developers. Now, 
To top it all off, Panic, one of the longest time developers for the Mac OS platform. Panic, one of the biggest independent development shops for OS X, one of the most respected and well-known creators of iOS apps and OS X applications, did a year-end post. And they talk about the challenges in this 2014 review. iOS upgrades, they talk about how iOS upgrades have not been very well done. They talk about how they had to leave the Mac App Store. They say that it hasn't been going very well in the Mac App Store and that sales, that sales after leaving didn't suffer. They talk about the app review process being atrocious. But here's the most devastating number of all. They break down their sales. 51% of panic sales are on iOS. 49% of panic sales are on the Mac. Okay, 51 on iOS, 49 on the Mac. But revenue... Only 17% on iOS, 83% on the Mac. Even though they sell more on iOS, they make dramatically less money, which I believe a lot of developers are learning about the whole entire Mac ecosystem. And the whole premise of getting developers to buy these MacBooks, to get Xcode, to get a Mac, is so they can get in this app store, this goldmine. But these are top tier Apple developers, top tier Apple developers saying it doesn't make economic sense. They say iOS represents just 17% of our total revenue, despite selling more than half of our total unit sales. That's huge. It's partly because mobile users won't pay enough money, but there's a lot of problems there. So uh, I think, you know, this, this promise of the app store has pushed a lot of people to buy Macs, but this promise seems to be flopping on its face. You've got these prominent developers that are saying, look, these things aren't right. Quality's down. Uh, Marco Arment in his post says, the stuff that we used to give Windows users a hard time about, like, we've got no room to talk. Windows is getting nice and stable. Meanwhile, our crap can't run very well. And I I, I totally concur with that. Like, you know, uh, we just upgraded the Wirecast system to Mavericks which is 10.9, even though 10.10 is out, because the quality of the releases takes about a year before they're usable in a high-production workload. Yeah. It's getting pretty bad. So I wonder, is Linux in a good position to pick up this mess? Because it's going to get pretty bad before people are going to switch, and that could take a little while, and legitimately so, Windows 10 isn't that far away, right? I mean, Windows 10 is a couple years away. They're going to have a really strong message, especially to power users. As yours looking pretty good, people could want to get in on that. Matt, do you think Linux is in a position to pick up some of these? What about these folks who switch to the Mac that might be switching back? Do you think we're in a position? Are we ready for that? I think so. I, well, let me, let me preface that. Yes and no. Uh, yes, in that we have the bare bone stuff necessary to make this happen. Yes, it's absolutely in existence. Uh, if we could actually get, I don't know, the word out um, beyond the echo chamber, that would be an amazing thing. It's yet to happen. I hope it does. Uh, that's what needs to happen and where Microsoft will be picking up the pieces if we don't get you know, our heads out of our butts and get that happening. If we can get the word out, hey, hey, there is an alternative. You guys should check this out. Then get some of these developers to actually you know, utilize it and then share the software, I don't know, developed for Linux you know, as an option. I think we might actually see a shift. But until that happens, you know, I think that we're going to perpetuate this, the usual circle jerk. I really do. Well, and uh, that's sad. Here's a that's case so study. Here's a case study. Uh, Michael Dominic. Co-host of the Coda Radio program, yeah, longtime uh, Mac developer, had needed a second workstation, and right. he grabbed a Dell laptop and or a desktop. I'm not sure, and he installed Ubuntu Mate 14.04 edition that uh, Wimpy and Team have put out, 
And for him, he says, you know, at the end of the day, Chrome is Chrome, Sublime Text is Sublime Text, and I needed a terminal. And I was able to get all of the work done I needed to do on this machine. And I think that's significant. I think it is. So I think that to, to further preface this even more, for developers, absolutely, we'll see a shift. I don't think there's any question of that. I, I think where we're going to continue to fall down, those that they're going to be using Linux boxes to make software for Windows. And they're going to mm-hmm. be using Linux boxes to make software for, you know, for other platforms. Web I, services. And probably and, a lot of mobile and web yeah, services, yeah. big time on web services. Yeah. I don't see anything really happening on the Linux desktop. And, and that's sad. Yeah. Now, I mean, as far as the developers that are actually developing for it, yeah, they're doing their thing. But as far as the, the big migration that we're hoping for, no one – if I go outside and scream, hey, I'm using Linux, no one has any idea what I'm talking about. I mean that's not changing. We don't actually get out there and change that. We talk about it, but no right. one actually does anything. Well, and if we're, just and looking, if we're just looking at the high-end technical users, the users that yeah. are looking for an exodus from the Mac platform, Wimpy, make right. me feel better. Are you saying you're seeing a pretty good percentage of Mac hardware? Yeah, within the Ubuntu Mate community, I was really surprised at how many people there are that are using Mac hardware. Um, that's a, a mixture of um, Intel uh, Mac uh, books. Uh, is that what they're called? I don't know. I've never mm-hmm. seen one. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, <laughs> some <laughs> somebody uh, somebody in the community has put together a PowerPC build of Ubuntu Mate, which runs on the um, the you know iBooks, the G4s, and what have you. Um, so I'm actually working with them to try and um, improve that. So I, when when I had some hardware difficulties that some of the Jupyter Broadcasting community helped uh, solve for Ubuntu Mate, and this is things like UEFI, because, again, I've, I've never seen one of those, whatever a UEFI is, um, it, it, most of the people that volunteered to help were running uh, MacBooks of some description. Mm. Yeah, I've gotten um, emails from I folks think, on MacBooks, on PowerPC yeah. MacBooks specifically, saying they're doing Mate edition. I had I had 30 people uh, participate in the testing and the feedback, and uh, 24 of them were on Mac hardware. And this was in the real early days of Ubuntu Mate when it was in the alphas, and I was oh, genuinely surprised by that. And, of course, what they do is they stick Plank or Docky on it, and they recreate a Mac OS X-type workflow um, because, you know, Mac OS X is a traditional desktop by and large. Right. Uh, uh, Kernel Linux, this is why we've got to make Linux work better on the MacBook hardware, don't you think? I think that's a, I think that's a great first step, but it, it, that won't entirely solve the problem because if, you ha- if, if, let's just say, everyone, let's just say we have a Max Exodus from the Macs and everyone comes over to Linux and now everyone installs Linux on their MacBook, that's a great first step. But when that, those people go out to buy a new computer, it can't be a MacBook again. If they go out and buy a MacBook again, they continue to give Apple their money and they continue to put Linux on it, then Apple can then then Apple continues to win. They continue to they're going to continue putting. Well, out, what's what's the difference if I buy a Lenovo with Windows on it? Nothing, nothing. But but th- that and that's where things like System seventy six or the Librem laptop come in is where where you're not supporting Microsoft by buying a Lenovo laptop or where you're not supporting Apple by buying a uh, MacBook. Although I will throw this in there, I think that. Apple goes a lot further out of their way to make it difficult to run alternate operating systems on their computer than than Lenovo does with with Windows. Lenovo would more than happily sell Linux on their laptops if people were willing to pay for it. I don't know that Apple feels the same way. Sure. Uh, although I would I would argue that uh, we've solved greater challenges. 
Uh, And also, I think, you know, obviously what you say is ideal. Like if, you know, we could get hardware that was ready to go with Linux, that'd be amazing in the stores, that'd be great. The reality is the store experience is awful. It's only getting worse. And uh, the Apple stores are better than going to Best Buy to buy hardware from a consumer standpoint. So that's where they're going to go. And I think it's impractical if we don't assume that not only is the MacBook um, appealing, but that Apple's not standing still. They're going to make better, newer MacBooks. Like there's a rumor right now that there's the next MacBook will only have one connector, USB, the new USB reversible C connector. One connector. One connector, you guys. Okay, I don't know if that's true or not, but you could see a world where that happens. And you know what? It's still going to sell. The reality is it's still going to sell. And if Linux isn't there for it, it's our loss. Yeah. That's true, you know, and I also think that you talk about that single connector. You can guarantee there's going to be lots of add-on connectors, yeah. so that you can adaptively yeah. connect other uh, legacy devices and whatnot. So. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Popey, did you see Lenovo's new uh, X1 Carbon announced at CES? Yeah, and the new um, X2 X0 series. You know, the two twenty, two thirty, two forty. Looks like they've gone back to the proper keyboard, mm-hmm. not the mm-hmm. stupid one that was on the X1. Only problem is they're <laughs> all eight, eight gigabyte max RAM. Yeah, yeah, mm. which is stupid. Yes, yes, yes. No good. That's entry level these days, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. I got virtual machines to play devil's advocate here. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So previous, I boycott Apple products, but. To me, this seems like it's possibly clinging to a single example in order to move an opinion that this community tends to lean toward. Are there other examples? Yeah. Of, I would say you know, it was actually trend? three examples, but yeah. Well, okay. To be fair, to be fair, to be fair, I'd like to say that admitting to the fact that there was, you know, a caveat that their product was aimed more towards power users, which iPhone and iPad, other similar mobiles aren't you know, really what it, what it really is, is I have a gut sense that, uh, I have a gut sense that, um, because when I have to sit down and use OS X, I, I become very aware of certain limitations that I think to myself, anybody, anybody who's sitting there that just has a job to do, you know, you don't give a crap about what the, what the rest of the, what the company's big overarching goals are. It's really none of your crap. You don't, that's why I think, honestly, uh, Ubuntu Mate Edition is so appealing to so many people because it is, it is the representation of the idea of the classical desktop before the vendor's vision altered what the desktop must look like so that way it matched their bold Steve Jobsian vision. And I think people are rebelling against that, and that's why there's such a strong appeal to Ubuntu May. I think, Mate, I think that same sort of undercurrent where you're in OS X, you feel like you're going against the grain, you feel like it's, it's in an ecosystem that's not used for you, you don't want any of the native apps, that is something that, that it transcends a lot of people. Like that's something that I think a lot of people will feel over time. So that's where some of this comes from. But what we're citing is three examples: Marco Armet, the, the uh, uh, George uh, um, um, Wozniak, or whatever his name was, uh, and uh, Panic, which is a huge development shop for uh, Mac and uh, iOS. So it's it is arbitrary examples, but it's three pretty pretty solid examples as far as examples yeah. go. So there, there, but there is an angle that I actually like to just to bring some light to, which is it seems that um, people are forgetting. One of the things that made Apple as successful as they are now is exactly that they didn't have functionality and someone could make money out of making that functionality. Maybe they're abusing on the removed functionality and the people using to build things there are feeling that pain. However, that's exactly what gives them money in the first place Hmm. is that the platform is lacking functionality. They provide a core basis and they give you the grounds to start running and you start running and put the functionality in and people buy that's why there's a market there 
Perhaps yeah. what actually makes it even difficult to get into Linux, you have almost a version of something always there. And, and so f- you have to be really good. On the flip side, did you see that uh, yesterday HP announced a $180 stream PC that runs Windows? It's like a Chrome box for Windows. And, of course, the number one question is, is how do you put Linux on that? And could that be maybe the ultimate new low-cost Windows machine or uh, Linux machine that ships with Windows? And, like, you know, unfortunately, yes, you're voting for Windows with that purchase. But if you can pull it off and make it a cheap Linux box, that could be a nice little rig, too. I mean, it's how much, how much better are you going to get than some of the Intel nooks, especially the lower-priced ones like the Celeron? It's just cheaper. Stuff. Nah, it's just cheaper. It's like $180. Well, I don't think they're going to risk selling these in Europe as many countries impl- uh, apply the law that um, – <laughs> Allows you to avoid the Microsoft tax. Mm. I don't know how will they feel about it. Mm. Avoid it? No, I don't think so. I yes, don't. Think uh, so. Italy, Italy actually by its Supreme Court ruled out that you cannot charge for the OS if the user rejects the license. <laughs> so they actually have to refund Windows. So it means the device. I've heard will a few stories. Yeah, I've heard a few stories where it's actually worked too, which is really cool. Uh, that's really neat. without it. Uh, hey, Mr. Corpse, uh, am I correct in in, uh, in in remembering that we have an interview with a Matei developer this weekend on the Linux Action yes. Show? Yes, uh, Stefano will be there. Well, Yay. Uh, Wimpy, who is who is Stefano? Will you tell the audience? Stefano is the lead de- developer and project lead for the Mate desktop. And uh, what should I ask him? And you got you got any burning questions? Oh boy, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Ask him anything you like. Okay. Ask him anything you like. Well, that'll be on uh, Sunday's Linux he's a, action. He's show. a super bloke, very friendly. I'm looking forward to it a lot. So, and I think he's got good timing. Uh, all right. Well, so that'll wrap up uh, this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We got links to the articles and blog posts that we discuss. If you'd like to read the numbers over for yourself, you can find them in the show notes. And of course, you can always go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com/contact. And send in some feedback to the Linux Unplugged show. We like to start every episode with your feedback, so it's an important part. Also, linuxactionshow.reddit.com to give us your feedback. We want it in our face holes, so go over there, put it in there, and our robots will deliver it. Matt, we're going to have a great chat on Sunday, so I'll see you then. All right, see you then. Okay, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, hey, why don't you join us live? You can do that Tuesdays, 2 p.m. Pacific, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. To get it in your local time zone, jblive.tv is where it happens, jblive.info for the audio. You can also find our apps on Android. Why not? You can listen on the go. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Unplugged. See you next Tuesday. wasn't going to put it in the show but you know where all these mac users are switching to don't you don't 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 even doubt it they're switching to arch and gnome 3 ah, ah, don't don't doubt it don't doubt it it's yeah. happening ah, if, uh, if, uh, if our <laughs> linux is to be believed at least uh according to uh the uh most recent package survey stats for the arch linux project uh, Firefox comes in at the number one browser. Chromium comes in at number two. Nano is the number one editor. VI at number two. The number one desktop on Arch Linux? GNOME 3, followed very closely by KDE, XFCE, Cinnamon, LXDE, Mate, and Enlightenment. Number one file manager. No, not files or Nautilus since GNOME. Nope, Thunar. Hmm. Hmm.
There you go. Why would they switch to elementary? No with tuna. I wonder how they're measuring that though. I might have to dig into the gut. You I have the to uh, have the uh, together. Yeah, you have to have the you have to have that voluntary. Uh, I forget. It's like Pac-Man stats or something like that. There's like a stats yeah. package. Yeah. Well, there's two things. There's first of all, you need that um, uh, stats package yeah. installed, which is like the popularity contest yes. on Debian yep. and Ubuntu. But also, you have to nominate a package that represents that something is installed. So if Thunar is the largest user base of file manager that kind of implies that xfce is therefore the largest desktop deployment and that could it be that what they're using to measure the gnome shell installs is actually some generic thing that most people would have on their system people just prefer thunar because i kind of prefer it i actually don't like thunar but there's people who who want it for the like the lowest you know, resources, so they have to, like, they're tiling window managers like I3 well, and stuff would happen. And here's why I think it might have a leg up, because definitely if I'm using KDE, I'm, I'm mandatory of Thunar, because if I'm going to connect to any SMB share, I want that as a GVS mount. I do not like the way Dolphin handles SMB shares. So the minute I go do anything on my network, I fire up Thunar. So I think True a lot enough. of KDE desktops probably use it for that reason, too, because it's just a really easy way to get, you know, a, a, a Samba mount on your... SFTP Master Race. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that was very loud. Mobile very Eric is mobile and, and opinionated. <laughs> JBTiles.com, JBTiles.com, everybody both. So you mentioned that uh, HP device that was released earlier today. Yeah, the Steam PC, or the Stream PC, sorry. Steam yeah, the, the, the Stream. <laughs> um, it is ugly. Ooh, I like proprietary Exodus. Bolton HP. Did I mean, you see the Did you see the silver and white one? <laughs> yeah, that's still ugly. It yeah, looks it like is. Tupperware. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Can, it does. Can't you not order them with no OS installed from HP? I don't Probably know. No, no, well, no, no, not these. No, not these stream PCs because I think Microsoft is subsidizing part of the cost. Yeah, subsidies. Yeah. Okay, that's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. We've got a local. Oh, yeah. um, local computer vendor that sells the the genuine intel nucs and also like the the gigabyte pocket which is a, a nuc style device and you can yeah and the box does that when you open it it's weird um but they'll sell them without licenses so you can buy it with no operating system they'll send you a uh, a form which looks very official which says that you uh, you waive certain things and that you, you, you waive all of your technical support with them because mm. you want no operating system. But you fill out this form and they'll send you the stuff with no OS on it. That's cool. Well, yeah. This yeah. thing is actually built on a Celeron, so it yeah. can run yeah. anything you want. Well, yeah. how do they lock you into it? That's the question. What are they doing to get you to keep running Windows 8? There might be something. I don't... I still right, don't, doesn't look good. I'm probably missing something here, but... The Celeron Nook is 140. Oh, is oh, is it? I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was 200. No, no, 140. RAM is 22 bucks, and yeah. you can buy it. You could use a compact flash card, 32 gigabyte compact flash card. You have the same thing, except it's not. You're not locked. Yeah, in. you're getting close. It's not all pre-built. It's not from HP, and the yeah. price is getting close. But yeah, I agree. Uh, it, but it doesn't look like Tupperware. I don't understand why the <laughs> Nook doesn't sell more crazy. I think. I think. Oh, I bought a bunch of them. Because yeah. you got to put it together. Basically. Still, it's so oh, it's quick. not that hard. It's four screws. No, 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 stick the RAM not, in hard drive. In. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Majority of people who are buying are not going to be wanting to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Here's we're the thing. buying them like crazy at work. Let me put it to you this way. Anyone who's buying one of those HP boxes to put Linux on it, is, it's going to be easier to install RAM and a hard drive and a Nook with the directions yeah, way better than it too. is to, to buy that HP. Yeah. And then you can get ISGraphics. Yeah, people something. who are installing Linux on these things probably know how to put a RAM and hard drive in. Yeah, well, exactly.